Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, September 4th. The question we are all asking ourselves after day six of the 2021 U.S. Open. So, now what happens? As we approach week two of the year's final Grand Slam round of 16 singles action scheduled to take place on Sunday, you look at how we've gotten to this point. In the women's singles competition, it's been an event seemingly marked by consistency at the top. Entering round four, 13 of the top 16 seeds still alive in the competition. Of course, two of the top 16 seeds missing were your two top contenders entering the event yesterday. It was talented 18-year-old Canadian Layla Fernandez knocking off defending champ Naomi Osaka. Today, it was an American veteran, Shelby Rogers, reaching her third, fourth round in the last four hardcourt slams, doing it in dramatic fashion, a come-from-behind 6-2-1-6-7-6 victory over Ashley Barty. Of course, we are going to break down that match on today's show, talk about its implications on the draw moving forward, but you flip gears on the men's side, we had plenty of funk on day six as well. How does he do it? Jensen Brooksby. It's the question perhaps on people's mind, the most confounding question since how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? You just, it's not flashy, it's not obvious, and yet Jensen Brooksby continues to find ways to win. He advances to his first second week at a slam in his career with a five-set victory over 21st seed Aslan Karatsev. We have to talk about that match today. Of course, some of the other matches I want to hit on, Iga Shviantek, Sneed 
sneaky impressive on her way to the fourth week. Another three-set victory for her this time. It was over Annette Conteve. I want to also talk about how the other top seeds look, how the Americans are faring heading into the second week. We have multiple Americans still alive in the men's singles competition. I want to let you all know the historical context of that win the last time that happened. Of course, given that we are through the third round, I also want to let you all know where things stand, give you the percentages via our friends at Tennis Abstract, their singles forecast, our friends at DraftKings, where the odds stand right now. And then, of course, preview day seven a bit at the end. It's a fantastic show. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get into any of that, I do want to remind you all that these shows are made possible day in, day out because of the support we get from all of you. Sincerely, we always enjoy the Grand Slam boosts in our numbers, and we're beyond flattered that you all continue to tune in day in, day out, that you trust us to cover a sport we all care so dearly about. Of course, again, if you would like to contribute to what we're doing here at Cracked Rackets, you can become a part of our Cracked Rackets Patreon family. We are treating each of them to a match of the day segment, some bonus content content every day throughout the 2021 U.S. Open. So if that is something you're interested in or you just want to support our work here at CR, we are always so grateful for that. You can find all the information about our Patreon on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, here on the mini break specifically, we would not do be able to do what we do day in, day out without the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, the best in the business in terms of providing the best equipment at the lowest prices. And you've probably seen the YouTube commercial pop up on your YouTube feed because if you're listening to this podcast you probably are searching tennis related things on youtube i get the tennis point commercial each and every time we go to that 15 second break and guess what i never click skip ads a it's a great commercial b i know what our friends tennis point do for the tennis industry again best equipment at the best prices you go to their website right now get what you need to uh, be your best on the court you use our promo code cr15 you'll get 15 percent off your order free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars best of all a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, we are so grateful for their support. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. It is tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 with that set. The place we have to start is with 28-year-old Shelby Rogers, three-set victory over top seed Ashley Barty, of course, coming into this event. Barty was the prohibitive favorite. Now, Naomi Osaka may have been on that tier for some, but you look for Barty, your Wimbledon champion. She ripped through the Western Southern Open draw on her way to the Cincy title. She won straight set matches in both her first and second rounds, and while she struggled to close out both of their matches, she had beaten Shelby earlier this season when the two of them played at the Australian Open. Shelby made the round of 16 there uh, before getting knocked off by Barty 3-4. and four. She also lost to Barty in Australia in the warm-up event. That was a third set tiebreaker win for Ashley Barty, but that was this was actually their fourth match of the years. They also played in Charleston. Barty, a three-set win on that occasion. Why do I bring all that up? Shelby Rogers had seen Ashley Barty's game already this season. She had the rhythm of, okay, this is what I have to do with my footwork because, yes, it's a backhand slice return, but the depth Barty gets on her backhand slice return and, you know, again, how low that ball stays. Rodgers had the cadence down from the start 
of how she needed to match up and how she needed to play this match against Ashley Barty. And in the first set, Ashley Barty had very little rhythm. You look at the numbers from that set, she made only 46% of her first serve, seven winners against 17 unforced errors. Meanwhile, for Shelby Rogers, she goes 16 of 20, wins 80% of her service points. She uh, converts two of her three breakpoint chances, doesn't face a breakpoint, three winners against only three unforced errors. She was covering 97.1 feet per point to Barty's 89.7. And that's where I want to start with Shelby because while the winner totals aren't gaudy in this match for her 18 winners against only 20 unforced errors, Barty 37 winners, 39 unforced errors, but Shelby moved better in this match than I had ever seen her move in her career. And you look for Shelby Rogers, who again has had success throughout the course of her career. She's, you know, 28 years old, currently at number 43 in the rankings, reached a career high earlier this season of number 40. However, you look for Shelby in her history at the Grand Slams. We've seen her have success before. She made, I believe it was quarterfinals Roland Garros back in 2016. It was quarterfinals U.S. Open last season as well before getting knocked off by Naomi Osaka and you look for Rogers I mentioned it at the top she's now made the fourth round in three of the last four hardcore grand slams with her weapons her serve her forehand doesn't matter the opponent when she's connecting she can play on her terms and that's where the movement component comes in and that's where again her, her game plan today against Ashley Barty was so efficient was a you look for her, she said from the get-go I'm firing serves into your backhand I don't care that you know I'm gonna do it I'm gonna keep doing it and the bet I'm going to make is I'm going to hit my first serve with enough pace into your backhand that even if you hit the backhand slice cleanly I'm gonna get a look at a first forehand and Shelby has had so many looks at first forehands in this match, and that's why I think you see the unforced error for Barty pile up in set one. You know, the 17 against seven winners, and overall in the match, the 39 unforced errors is because Shelby put a ton of pressure on her, and that meant Barty would go a little bit bigger early in the rally, try and change direction, go down the line. And this is again where you have to give credit to Shelby Rogers, who averaged 100.2 feet per point in this match, covered over 17,500. Feet, uh, feet of court in this match. That's over three miles of court in this match, and that's typically not Shelby's game, and yet she was willing to dig deep, track down that backhand slice, redirect and go down the line with her own backhand, knowing, you know, the on-the-run Barty cross-court forehand, that's where Barty's at her best, and yet Shelby was moving so well to cover that ball that she was able to hit her forehand cleanly, and again, she won those exchanges, the cross-cross, down-the-line, down-the-line exchanges. That pattern was working so well for Shelby today and just she was efficient from start to finish you look through the course of the match she made 63% of her first serves won 68% of those points 52% of her second serve points four of seven on break point chances meanwhile Barty goes four of eight and look Ashley Barty despite not playing her best tennis and with all due respect to Shelby who again was fantastic just the way she competed the way she embraced the crowd the way she just was convinced from the start I am going down swinging this time I am not going to let myself leave anything on the court in matchup number four of the year against Ashley Barty but Barty was not at her best and the 39 unforced errors there were a lot of plus one balls that Ashley Barty's made routine look routine over the last nine months that she was missing tonight and part of that's a credit to the pace of the Shelby Rogers uh ground stroke but 
Barty was off. The slice was leaving a little bit short in the court. Her on the run was a little bit off. And look, Ashley Barty, despite not seemingly playing a lot of matches, she's played a ton of matches this year in the events she's played. And you look for Ashley Barty on the season. I mentioned it coming into the event. I believe she had five. It was like five finals, uh, five titles, six finals in 12 total events. This would be her 13th event now total. But she's played 50 matches in the last 52 weeks and because of the quarantine rules in Australia she hasn't been able to go home during that time this has been an extended year-long road trip and I do think we're starting to see we saw it add up a little bit in this match where it was just a little bit harder for Barty to change directions a little bit harder harder for her to be as good as she has been when she was on the run and just you know Shelby kept attacking the serve of Barty particularly that second serve Barty 18 of 39 on second serve points Ashley Barty's second in hold percentage folks right now in WTA tour matches so again you got to give all the credit in the world to Shelby who recognized that who kept swinging put that sort of pressure on Barty and ends up with the victory and again for her at a grand slam a round of 16 is not a career defining thing for Shelby that's where she's been over the last 52 weeks. That's what I'm trying to emphasize to all of you now. And you look for Shelby Rogers overall here in 2021. Uh, as I mentioned, she's 23 and 19. You look for her in terms of the quarterfinals that she's made. She made quarterfinals to start the year. Yara Valley, she was really good in Australia on the hard courts. Quarterfinals in Adelaide as well before a three-set loss to Coco Goff. Now she hasn't made another quarterfinal since Charleston at the start of the clay court season. You look for her. Was a struggle in the clay court uh, stretch after Charleston. She loses first round in Madrid, Rome, and Roland Garros. One win in Strasbourg. Solid on the grass courts, I would say. She qualifies in Eastbourne, makes round of 16. Third round for her at Wimbledon, a win over Maria Sakari. Found her rhythm at the start in Cincinnati. You know, one and one there. Loss in Cleveland first round, but obviously with the wins over Brangle, where I think she was great in finding her footing, then a great win over Kirstea. Now, obviously, the performance she's looking for, a win over world number one in Ashley Barty. The craziest part here, and this is where things get interesting for Shelby Rogers, is she's now the favorite in her matchup against 18-year-old Emma Raducanu in the round of 16. And while Raducanu, a 11-1 victory over Sarah Cerebes Tormo, I was dead wrong about that match outcome. But it is sort of a welcome to the WTA Tour from a power perspective for Raducanu. And what I underestimated was that if you don't have a weapon, you can't hurt Raducanu because she's not going to beat herself. But she hasn't seen someone with the sort of serve plus one forehand firepower many times in her career of Shelby Rogers. So, you know, Shelby's got a pathway to the quarterfinals here, and you look for her in her career. She's made two quarterfinals, U.S. Open last year, Roland Garros 2016. For her to make another, you know, consecutive U.S. Open quarterfinal, that would be special stuff for Shelby. You look at her with this result, and again, she had the quarterfinals last year, but currently 44th in the live rankings. You look for Shelby Rogers, 37th in the uh, live race in in terms of points. Yeah, she's been one of the 70 top 50 players, but I think in the better half of that group. I think she belongs in the top 50 right now, and for her to be able to get into that Indian Wells main draw on your ranking. And then as you look towards 2022, just 29 years old, you don't have to worry about Grand Slam qualifying. You don't have to worry. You can play whatever WTA event you want. You can craft your schedule according to your own desire 
desires. And as a veteran on the WTA Tour, that is all you are asking for. So again, all the credit in the world to Shelby Rogers, who you look this season, you know, her hold percentage, 70.1%. That's obviously a very good number. You look for her amongst WTA players in uh, the top 50 right now. That 70.1 would rank 22nd behind Elisa Mertens amongst top 50 players over the last 52 weeks. Now you look for Shelby in terms of her break percentage. She is a player who goes for broke, 33.9%. That would rank in the bottom 10 uh, of the top 50. That 33.9% would be good for 42nd, uh, which it is right now. Uh, Look, Shelby Rogers has an elite serve. And when you have an elite skill, uh, I mean, twenty. I guess 23rd is not exactly elite, but when you have a borderline elite serve, your serve can keep you in matches. And when you connect with returns, as she did, you know, because it's worth mentioning, and I don't think I have yet, Barty served for this match twice. And yet Shelby just kept swinging. And Shelby, you know, again, put that pressure on Barty uh, to say, okay, beat me. Like, fine, if you can hit that on the run cross-court forehand, you're going to beat me. But I don't think you can make it over the course of two and a half hours today. And on this day, Shelby made the right wager. And so she advances to the round of 16 for what it's worth in the women's draw forecast for Tennis Abstract. She's got a 65.5% chance of beating Radikainu, 19.4% chance of advancing to the semifinals. They give her a 1.4% chance of winning the event that is outside uh, the top 12. She is, I think, second lowest, no, third lowest it goes. Yeah, Radikainu's got a 0.2% chance. Layla Fernandez, 0.5% chance. Then they go Shelby Rogers, 1.4. But hey! She's on the board. She's into the round of 16, into the second week. The last American woman surviving in women's singles is Shelby Rogers, and I don't think that's a wager many of us would have made at the start of the tournament. But while there's only one women's Amer- oh, American women's singles player still alive in New York, we have three American men making it into the second week. All of them born 1996 or later, technically 97 or later, and one of them who has been the breakout star of this 2021 ATP season, the player I call the most watchable player in men's tennis right now, friend of the program here at Cracked Rackets. And if you want to hear from him, you can hear from him at the start of the season after he won in South Africa. You can hear from him in Cleveland when we got the chance to talk to him face-to-face. You can hear from him at the City Open. And we're going to continue to hear from him over the next decade. As Jensen Brooksby has shown, he just has the chops, the gumption, whatever word you want to use, he's got it here now uh, as he advances to his first second week, his first round of 16 at a Grand Slam with a five-set victory over Aslan Karatsev, 6-2, 3-6, 2-6, 6-3, 6-3. What was most impressive about this win, I mean, I don't even know where to start, but I think the place I have to start in this victory for Brooksby is that he looked down and out, especially after losing that third set. It looked like he had a hip problem that was bothering him. He just looked physically spent. And by the way, you can understand if he was. Spent four hours in court in his round one match with Mikhail Emer. Spent four hours on court in his round two four-set victory over Taylor Fritz. Spent another four hours on court today. And you look for Jensen Brooksby, and you've heard me say it a million times, death by high percentage tennis. It's another one of those made 61% of his first serves, uh, won 66% of those points, 22 winners against 36 unforced errors, compared to Karatsev, 58 winners against 61 unforced errors. Again, Jensen says, hey, let's roll the balls out. I bet you can't beat me today. 
I bet I'm going to make more balls than you can. And if I, you know, until you put that last shot by me, I bet you're going to make more errors than I do. And I'm going to win the match. And guess what? That wager ended up winning for Jensen Brooksby. And you look for Brooksby today, it's just the way he competes. You think he's not going to, he's just, it's not flashy speed. And yet his combination of anticipation, first step and length on a hard court, he tracks down everything. And if he gets his racket on the ball, the most underrated skill for Jensen Brooksby throughout his career or least talked about thing will just be how good his hands are. If he gets his paws on the ball, he can put it wherever he wants it to go. And that forehand's just going to be a little bit deeper in the court and land a little bit heavier than the opponent expects. And of course, his backhand is just obviously good. And when he sets his feet and is able to drive into that shot, he can rip it cross court, rip it down the line, create short angle. Yes, the backhand slice, Florenmayer, it's hideous, it's effective. It just drops in. And again, his feel on the run, when he throws up a sky lob, that sky lob is going to be bouncing in the court. And you have the choice. You can let it bounce. You can try and play it as an overhead. But he's going to give himself some time to get back to the center of the court. Jensen knows all of the tricks of the trade. His defensive skills are second to none. And of course, that said, Karts have sort of figured it out. In sets two and three, started taking the ball a little bit earlier, started taking the ball out of the on the rise as a swinging volley. And you look for Karatsev in this match, 24 of 35 at the net to Jensen, 6 of 13. Of course, Jensen not going to go to the net uh, as frequently, but for Karatsev to make that adjustment and you look for him in particular as the match progressed. In set number one, he was 4 of 6 at the net. Sets number two and three, four of six again and two, seven, but I don't think that includes the swinging volley. Seven of eight in set number three. He just started moving forward. He started pressing a little bit more and pressuring Brooksby. At the same time, being patient but knowing, okay, if Jensen's going to throw me a backhand slice out of the air, I'm going to take it out. I will have a clean rip at it. I'm going to take it out of the air and just try and take that extra half second or full second away from him. And it was working. And that's how Karats have built sets two and three lead. And, you know, because it felt like Jensen kind of shocked him in set number one. Jensen just kind of made those extra balls. Karatsev rushed a little bit in the point and forced himself into a couple of unforced errors. But then he settled down and he found his rhythm. And it seemed like he had solved the Brooksby code, that Brooksby's legs were dead, and that the match was over. And then it wasn't. And then Jensen started coming back. And you look for him in set number four. He made 85% of his first serves, won 74% of those points. Now, he was throwing in some meatballs, right? Obviously, there were a couple, you know, 95 to 105 mile per hour balls that he's just trying to place as well as he can. But that's what Jensen does. He's not expending any extra energy on that serve. He's playing high percentage tennis, eight winners in set number four, one unforced error. Meanwhile, Karatsev, 16 winners, but 14 unforced errors. Brooksby said, yeah, okay, take that ball early. I dare you. And Karatsev would try, but Brooksby would come up with the goods and pass him or the two-shot pass or Karatsev would miss the approach because that's the sort of pressure Jensen Brooksby puts on you. And just, you look for Jensen. I mean, what's left to say about this guy? Overall, uh, this season, he's just been absolutely stunning. And you look for Jensen now here during this 2021 season. I mean, he's now... 41-9 41-9 and nine overall in 2021. That's an 82% win percentage, folks. Hist- like, again, prime Federer, prime Djokovic, prime Nadal, they were winning 85% to 90% of their matches. Edbergs of the world, the 
you know, Agassiz of the world that are a tier lower than them, their prime seasons were in that 80 to 85 percent range. And I know for Brooksby, it's been at the futures level, it's been at the challenge level uh, for the majority of the time, but he's 20 years old, folks, 20 years old. And he's 41 and 9 overall in 2021. He's 11 and 4 at the ATP level. 41st now in the points race. You look for Jensen in terms of the live rankings with this fourth round. Brooksby moves all the way up to a new career high, number 79 in the live rankings. That's clearly too low. You look for him in the race. Brooksby, as mentioned, 41st. You look for him in terms of the ELO ratings right now. Brooksby, 29th entering this event overall, 25th in terms of his 2021 specific results. I know. I've mentioned this before, but you look for Jensen, and this doesn't adjust for ATP-specific competition, but you look for him overall this season, hold percentage of 81.4. That would be a top 20 number on the ATP Tour. Break percentage, 32.3. That number would rank fourth behind Schwartzman, Nadal, and Djokovic. He would be a top 20 club member if you adjust accordingly, and yet Obviously, when he plays ATP-level matches, we know that serve is going to be uh, stressed a little bit more than it has been thus far. And you look for Jensen Brooksby in ATP-level matches uh, thus far in his career because we can get that number for you. It just takes me a little extra second. He's now 14-5 and five at the ATP level uh, here in the— Oh, no, that includes his future. So, again, 3 minus 1. 11-4. I was correct. Thank you. You look at his hold percentage in those matches. 84.8% is what he's holding at the ATP level. 84.8% folks amongst top 50 ATP players would rank ahead of Kasparud and behind Rafa Nadal for 11th in hold percentage on the ATP tour. That's nuts. You look for him via break percentage for uh, Jensen Brooksby. It's interesting that at the pro level, it actually goes down to 22.8%, which would rank right above Lorenzo Sinego, Dusan Lajovic, right behind Denis Shapovalov for 24th uh, on the ATP Tour. I, what is there to say? Like, And yet his serve feels like there's so much room for improvement, right, that he can add 10 to 15 miles per hour of pace. And, you know, again, that he's going to continue to get faster, which once he gets a quicker first step, once he's just a little bit stronger, he can already absorb and redirect pace as well as anyone. He can already do all these little things and yet still 20 years old. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's oxymoronic how someone so polished can feel like he still has so much upside, obviously on a hard court. No one, you know, competes better than Jensen Brooksby. The guy gets every ounce of himself in every match. Watching him pump himself up, turn to the crowd to have them pump him up. It's just, it's must-see TV right now. Jensen Brooksby has been that good. He advances five sets over Aslan Karatsev. For Karatsev, by the way, you know, again, third round of the U.S. Open where he was a year ago today. He'll take it. But this is certainly disappointing. That match was on his rack, and you just look for him overall. 61 unforced errors against 58 winners. He was close, but just a little bit rushed. And I'm sure of all the sets he wants back, it's probably that first set because just the first set game plan for Karatsev was tough. Four and five, Brooksby just competed his tail off. And Karatsev was right there and had plenty of chances. You look for Aslan Karatsev in the match, 12 breakpoint chances, 7 of 12 on those chances. Uh, But Brooksby just... Again, managed to survive, managed to find that big deuce serve out wide. His slice out wide serve on the deuce is probably his single best serve because it sets up uh, that that second ball is going to the ad side corner. And his that plus one ball, I think, is his best ball, whether it's the backhand cross or the inside out forehand. But, man, I mean, 
Jensen's special. I, I, what else is there to say? At 20 years old, he becomes the youngest American to reach the U.S. Open fourth round since Andy Roddick in 2002. When you're joining Andy Roddick, it's company, you're probably doing something right. It was the 31st five-setter of the tournament. It ties the 2015 Wimbledon for most at a Grand Slam event since the 34 at the 2004 U.S. Open. And let's be clear. We are entering week two. You only need three five-setters in week two to eclipse that number. Very, very possible that that happens, particularly as Jensen Brooksby still alive. And guess who he's got next, folks? Novak freaking Djokovic. Center court match, the American crowd is going to fall in love with Jensen. And subsequently, they will turn on Djokovic. Oh, man, is that going to be fun. Because Djokovic, with his back against the wall, is the most dangerous Djokovic. And when he does have that back against the wall, that's when his best play usually arrives. And, I mean, Jensen's going to push him. Jensen's going to frustrate him. Jensen's going to annoy him. And yet Jensen's going to find ways to survive. And the question is, does Jensen have anything left in the tank? That's a good question. I also, does he have any weapon to hurt? If he has things left in the tank, then of course his consistency and the way he moves the ball around the court, he'll be able to hang with Djokovic in baseline rallies. If his legs are dead, Djokovic could also kill him. Like this could be a one, one and one sort of thing where Jensen just, he's out of gas. And so I'm fascinated. I'm just fascinated by that match. It's what we deserve after all we've gone through these last 18 months. We appreciate that tennis gods, Uh, but this is going to be a fun, fun battle. But of course, again, Jensen, one of your three American uh, men to advance to the round of 16. Riley Opelka joins him. Opelka, a straight set victory in his win uh, over Nicolas Basilashvili. First fourth uh, round for Riley at a slam and it felt inevitable because the big server particularly given how quick these courts are playing, how dialed in he's been from the start. He has to drop the set on his way to this fourth round. He's had, you know, the sort of draw he should have taken advantage of, and he did. And so, you know, for him to beat Musetti in round number two in straight sets and, you know, first round match, tricky opponent in Sun Kwan as well, but two guys who his serve give him a particular advantage against, and he took advantage of that fact. And today against Vasilishvili, you know, again, they can both play elite serving, elite power tennis, Riley was the more dynamic of the two. He was the one able to play off speed, able to throw in slice and volley and do all of these different things. And now, you know, again, here's the updated list of American men to make round four or further in singles at the U.S. Open since 2010. It's a list of, I believe, nine guys. Isner's done it three times. Marty Fish did it three times. Query's done it twice. Donald Young's done it twice. Tiafo's now done it twice. He's still alive, obviously, in this tournament as he knocked off Andre Rublev, plays FAA on Sunday. Jack Sock did it once. You now add Brooksby and Opelka to the list of players who have done it once. That's an interesting list of nine guys, right? That's Again, we see that generational, the bridges, right? It goes from Fish to Isner. We thought there might be a little DY run. Unfortunately, there wasn't. By the way, it goes from Roddick and Fish to Isner, uh, then to Query. Then you saw a sock run. Now it's really Tiafo, Brooksby, Opelka running the show. And you imagine, hopefully, Fritz gets on that list someday. Korda gets on that list someday. Nakashima gets on that list someday. And, you know, Tommy and all of those guys can still add their— even Mackey's probably going to add his name to that list. And so it speaks to the depth right now that we've already got three—you know, four—well, I suppose Query and Isner are still active, and so is Donald Young technically. But, you know, three— 
young guys in Tiafo, Brooksby, and, and Opelka have already made second weeks at this slam. Three American men reaching round four in singles at the 2021 U.S. Open is the most Americans in the fourth round in New York. Since 2011, at that point, it was Fish, Roddick, Isner, and Young. First time with multiple American men in round four since 2015. Not too bad, folks. Not too bad. We did a full State of American Men's and Women's Tennis podcast in the preview of this 2021 U.S. Open. You can go find those conversations with Chris Otto and David Gertler on the Great Shot podcast. But we alluded to the fact that this might happen, that the depth right now in American men's tennis is outstanding. And while we may not get that bite at the apple for a Grand Slam title in the immediate future— you will have some guys in the mix, the Opelkas of the world, the Cordas of the world. And, you know, again, I'm not going to relist all of the names, but we will have some guys in the mix. Good to see the American men find some success here at the 2021 U.S. Open, of course. Now, you, you, let's flip back to the women quickly because there is one more three-set match I want to talk about today. And it was Iga Sviantek's three-set victory uh, over Annette Conteve. You look for uh, Sviantek. She earns a 6-3-4-6-6-3 victory over Conteve. It is her second consecutive three-set victory at this tournament as Fiontek also earned a three-set win in round number two, come from behind win for her over Fiona Farrow. Igush Fiontek's the only player on the WTA Tour to reach the fourth round at all four Grand Slams this season. She's the only player right now on the WTA Tour to rank top 10 in both hold percentage and break percentage. She is your most consistent player in the women's game right now. And all due respect to Krejcikova, who 28-3 and three since uh, the start of her title run prior to the Roland Garros. Uh, what did she win that? Strasbourg, I think, was where the title won. So starting with Strasbourg, she's 28-3, and three, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but Iga has brought her best at every big event this season. And you look for Iga right now in terms of her 2021 results. She's currently, I believe, 31-10 uh, and 10 overall. In 2021, you look at how her percentages match up to her breakthrough run last season and in her career to hold percentage 75.7. That's a career high. Break percentage 41.3. Now that's lower than the number she had last year, but of course she ripped through the French Open last year in such a small sample size of matches. That 41.3 being uh, uh, above her career average, being a career high, that shows she's settling on that number and that number obviously is an elite returner. Career high in first serve win percentage uh, ties her career high in second serve win percentage career highs and service points ones, return points one, total points one by the metrics, by the eye test, by the results. Iga Sviantek has gotten better at everything this season. And of course, she had a really high floor to start with. And you look for Sviantek again here overall in the year, what she's been able to have so much success doing. Uh, it's just how well she moves the ball around the court, how consistent she can be. And then, you know, not only can she out-consistent you, but then if you leave something shorter in the center of the court, she can find the big angles, the big cross-court backhand that she can rip through the for, uh, court, the inside-out forehand, the inside-in forehand. You never know exactly where she's going to go with that forehand. Sometimes I don't think she knows where that forehand's going to go. But for her 31-10 overall this season, you Look for her against the top 50. She's 13 and 9, 3 and 5 against the top 20, 2 and 2 against the top 10. 
I mean, it's just been rock solid. She belongs in the conversation. There's a reason you look for her in the rankings with this result, fourth round U.S. Open. She's now new career high, or ties her career high, I suppose, number seven in the rankings. You look for her in the race to the year on finals in a, what is such a crowded race. Sviantec currently fifth uh, on top of that race. You look for her in terms of the advanced metrics. Sviantec sixth in overall ELO. She's currently 11th in 2021 specific ELO. You look at their forecast, they give Sviantec six. 7.4% chance to win this event. That number currently good, I believe, for 7th. Uh, That's interesting. That, you know, again, that shows the floor she has. Maybe not the ceiling of the Sabalankas, the ceiling of, you know, the Andrescu's of the world right now. But at the same time, if this is already her floor, look out, rest of the tour, that the fact that she's still, you know, just turned 20 years old. She's got a decade before she's going to be in her 30s, and it's just the power is so obvious and the physicality she played with against Conteve today because Conteve was excellent. Conteve asked every single question of Iga in this match, and she made it a track meet. And for Annette Conteve, 37 winners, 35 unforced errors. She moved as well as I have ever seen her move in a match, absorbing the, you know, the heavy top spin of Sviantec's ground strokes, absorbing the kick and just getting that ball served deep into the court. And she created eight breakpoint chances for herself. And more impressively, she fought off 14 of the 20 breakpoint chances she faced. Now, ultimately, that's too many. And of course, you look for Annette Conteve, as good as she's been, and I think I tweeted out she's, what, 17-1 and one at the time, so now probably 22-1 and one against opponents ranked outside the top 50, and then things get a little bit tougher against those top 20 opponents for her record-wise because she doesn't have the elite power. She doesn't have the elite way to win free points for herself, and in the end, that was what made the difference because Sviantec was just able to put so much pressure on her service games in each and every service game, even though Iga in this match you know, only made 49% of her first serves and so Conteve was able to put some pressure reciprocally uh, reciprocally in those Sviantec service games but I mean man Annette Conteve just uh, she was so consistent from the baseline she moved the ball so well around the court she did a great job absorbing the heavy topspin of Conteve particularly uh, of Sviantec on the backhand wing and for Conteve taking that backhand early and down the line and so I thought this was a really good performance for Annette Conteve, who is just the epitome of consistency and fires out third rounds and beats the players who she's supposed to beat. And so I think there's value in that. I really do. I I think she's one of the more underrated players on the in the WTA game, just in terms of her consistency. But I mean, yeah, what you love about this win for Sviantec is that she, her while her you know level wavered a bit at the end of that second set she had a run of unforced errors that she picked her level back up that she was able to not only match the physicality of Conteve but exceed it with the weapons she brings to the table as well this was a really impressive performance a really good match just from start to finish against both players for Conteve 37 winners against 35 unforced errors for Sviantec 32 winners against 27 unforced errors this was a pick em sort of match really really fun stuff in the end Sviantec advances again. She's the only WTA player to make the fourth round in all four Grand Slams in singles this season. It's epitome to the 20-year-old's consistency. And again, the scary thought, only 20 years old. She only gets better from here. But that's your three-set win for Iga Sviantec. Let's move now to the other uh, men's res- uh, women's results we saw on the day. You look across the board, again, 
Your top seeds, the ones that look good, continue to look very good. Karolina Pliskova earns another straight set win, this time for her. It's straight sets over, uh, I believe, Alia Tamjanovic. Yes, indeed. And you look for Pliskova. Whatever confidence she's found since Wimbledon, I just wish this breakthrough run would have happened five years ago six years ago because she's playing with a freedom right now maybe you need to take the six years of lunch she's taken to get to this point where you do play with that sort of freedom because she just took it to Tomjanovic and Tomjanovic brings the sort of physicality the consistency the ability to absorb that first strike from Pliskova that you thought okay maybe she'll get her stretched in the outer thirds you know maybe after the physical three set dramatic match round two against Denisimova Pliskova will feel a little tired the legs will be a little bit dead no it was business from Pliskova from start to finish she is serving so well in this tournament set the ace record against Denisimova hit 20 more aces in this one was 32 of 35 on first serve points now was 10 of 27 on second serve points, but that matters less. When you're hitting 20 aces, 33 winners against 24 unforced errors, she is locked in, folks. Absolutely can win this event. Uh, Pliskova advancing to uh, the fourth round in straight sets. You look at your other winners, and Durescu continues to find her sea legs, folks. And with the loss of uh, Barty and the loss of Osaka. Guess what? Andreescu won the 2019 U.S. Open, and she has the confidence she could absolutely win this uh, tournament. And look, I mean, if she continues this rate of improvement from how good, you know, where she was in match number one to where she is now, oh man, that's the sleeper pick. If you're trying to impress your friends, you want to smart, sound smart, you won't, don't want to take, you know, the Sabalenka, the Muguruza, the Pliskova of the world, I don't know if a six seed can be a dark horse, but you know, BB is not top ten in tennis abstract. I'll get I'll get there, but she's not top ten in tennis abstracts forecast or by the odds makers. That feels like a dark horse. That's too low. Bianca Andrescu is too good. That top half of the draw too open for her not to be able to win this tournament. So she went earns again one and two win over Friedman and the best she's looked thus far. You know who's freaking awesome? Belinda freaking Bencic. 6-2-6-4 win over Jess Pagula. Pagula's second on the uh, Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard in terms of break percentage amongst WTA players. She breaks about 49% of the time. She broke Bencic once in this straight set victory for Belinda Bencic, who now you look since the uh, start of the Olympics. Belinda Bencic, 12-1 in that stretch. She's got semifinal points here to defend this year. She makes it to the round of 16, and as such, her ranking shouldn't suffer too much. Bencic able to Let's see, curb the bleeding. Where is Belinda Bencic right now? She ranks 12th now with this round of 16 result. By the way, Andrescu defending those title points by making the fourth round here. She gets to stay at least top 20 until we head towards Indian Wells. But again, critical for both of those players that they get the results they did. And for Bencic, 12-1, and she's just such a pure shot maker. And just, again, her ability to drive that ball early on the rise down the line. She's got the pace to beat you, the contact point to beat you. She's moving well, serving well, returning well. And, you know, she's 50th amongst the top 50 players in break percentage. Not right now, though. She's just connecting and playing confidently, swinging freely. She out Pagula Pagula. She was the better line drive player from the baseline. Her power won out in the end, 2-4 and four win, four for the 11 seed. A big win for Maria Sakari. 4-3 and three over 10 seed Petra Kvitova. Now, it was an erratic performance for Kvitova uh, in her 4-3 and three performance. You look at the stats from this number for Petra. Again, just wasn't able to find her cleanest tennis at any point in the match. Kvitova 
16 winners, 34 unforced errors. At the same time, Maria Sacker was 20 of 28, uh, 25 of 28 on first serve points, hit 19 winners against 16 unforced errors, let Kvitova beat herself and just, you know, played high percentage and extended those shots, three, four extra shots. And Kvitova, unfortunately, just didn't find the range in today's match. Again, though, credit to Maria Sakkari into another fourth round at a Grand Slam this season, back-to-back fourth rounds, I believe, for her. Or was it a third round loss for her last year to Serena? Point being, Maria Sakkari continues to rock and roll. She looks very, very good entering week two. Straight set win for her over Kvitova. You also got the win from Pavla Chankova, one and four over Gracheva. And then Emma Raducanu. 0-1 0-1 over Sarah Cerebez Tormo. For the 18-year-old to knock off someone who was, what, 25-8 and 8 or something like that on hard courts here in 2021, had won a WTA title in Guadalajara, had made another final, had, you know, earned all of these impressive wins and just the physicality she brings, the variety she brings. And this may be the closest 6-love, six 6-1 six in that it did feel like Cerebez Tormo was able to extend rallies 10, 15 shots and sort of start to get into her brand of tennis, but she just couldn't hurt the 18-year-old Raducanu at all. And what's so fascinating about the 18-year-old, who was a very accomplished junior during her time, but you look for her now, 2021, she's 19-6 here this season. Round of 16 in her first two slams. She also has made quarterfinals at 100K twice. She makes the finals at the 125 in Chicago She's the real deal, folks. She's got the goods, and if you don't have a weapon to hurt her with, and you can see in her, you know, in the results she has, uh, you know, Clara Tossin in the Chicago final. Clara Tossin's got big weapons, and you know, the Wimbledon fourth round. I don't think we can really throw in there because the time, the stage, and for her at that moment. But her wins in that match, Kirsteya Vandrusova, Diachenko, and her wins here, you know, Shui Zhang, Stephanie Vogel, Sarah Cerebez Tormo. If you don't have a big weapon to hurt her, you're not going to beat her because she's got the consistency. She's got the firepower off of both wings. The forehand, she connects with it early. It's a beautiful contact point. The backhand is so smooth. The serve, rock solid as well. 0-1. 0-1. I was so wrong about that match. I don't know what else to say. Emma Raducanu's got it. I'm fascinated to see her play Shelby Rogers. That's going to be a really, really fun match. But again, that's your top half of the women's uh, singles draw. You look at the matchups. Rogers Radicanu, Benchich versus Sviantek. That's a 51-49 split, according to Tennis Abstract. That's super, super fun. Pliskova versus Pavlochenkova. Sakari versus Andrescu, a rematch of their Miami three-set thrilling semifinal. Those are four, you know, it's not as many big names as the bottom half of the draw, but... I mean, we talk about, is this the best major of the 2021 season unequivocally? When was the last major that's been as good as this 2021 major, both from a first week perspective and now setting up for the second week? You're going to have to go back. And it's from both a men's and women's singles perspective. We switch gear now to talk about the men's singles results. I mean, look, the Italian men, you get two of them pushed to five sets, but they both managed to advance for Berrettini. It was a five-set win over a very much informed Ilya Ivashka. Oh, for uh, Yannick Sinner, was a five-set win over an extraordinarily motivated guy, Almonfis. And just, you know, again, to run through some stats from the men's side, where we are at after uh, round number three, you look for the Italian men, again, uh, for, I believe it's, yes, Berrettini and Sinner, the first pair of Italian men to reach the fourth round of the U.S. Open in the tournament's history. That's pretty cool. Plays for Italian tennis. And obviously, Musetti in the mix as well. There's a bunch of other fun youngsters coming up the challenger ranks. It's a good, good time to be a fan of the Italians. And, you know, again, for Sinner, 
He was up breaks in both sets three and four. And Monfils channeled the crowd. And he, you know, started putting a little bit of pressure, putting his return a little bit deeper in the court. But he let Sinner swing freely for essentially four hours from the baseline. You just can't let Yannick Sinner do that. And what's so impressive is Sinner showed the physicality and he showed the mental fortitude to after blowing that, you know, two sets to love lead and after being up breaks in sets three and four, he came out swinging, got the early break right away in set five and was able to hold serve the rest of the way in that fifth set. He advances to a fourth round at the U.S. Open. We've got Alcaraz, Fernandez, Radicanu, all 18-year-olds in the U.S. Open. The last time the fourth round featured at least one man and one woman who were 18 was 1998 at that point it was Safin Venus Hingis Kornikova obviously Sinner 19 years old or maybe just turned 20 earlier in August generational shift folks these results prove as much that the sinners of the world are beating the Monfises of the world. That epitomizes the shift happening in the top 20. The youngsters are coming. The veterans, they're trying to move aside. And obviously, Monfis did not make things easy. But for Sinner, again, the way he just kept swinging and the way he just you know kept going big on his plus ones and was taking the space Monfis was giving him, wasn't intimidated by Monfis' speed, wasn't intimidated by the fact that he would make the occasional incredible passing shot and the crowd would subsequently go nuts and have his back and they were rooting for more tennis but Yannick Sinner didn't care he kept rocking and rolling for Matteo Berrettini I mean Avashka just pushed him I think this result has more to do with how well Avashka is serving how confidently he's swinging than anything else but look Berrettini scrapped his way to this fourth round and there were four men who made the fourth round at all four slams this year first three obvious Djokovic, Zverev, Medvedev the fourth one wasn't Tsitsipas it wasn't Rublev. Team's injured this year, so it doesn't count. Nadal didn't play. It was Matteo Berrettini. That serve, that forehand, over the course, three out of five set, it just wins out over time. He earns the five set victory over Ivashka. Now, obviously, you look for Matteo Berrettini. It would be an eventual quarterfinal date with Novak Djokovic to get there. He'll have to knock out Oscar Ota. Let's go through some Oscar Ota stats because I've got some fun ones for you here via our friends over, you know, Damian Kust and our friends over at the ATP. Oscar Ota saved match points in two deciding set tiebreakers in qualifying. He also vomited on the court in both of them. He then qualified for his third great Grand Strand this year uh, at the U.S. Open, goes all the way to the last 16. It's only his fifth Grand Slam main draw. His previous best was the second round. You look for Oscar Ota. He becomes the youngest, uh, lowest-ranked player to reach the fourth round since 2006 when Yuri Novak did it. Um, you look for Oscar Ota as well. He's got five career wins at slams three career wins at the ATP level. He joins Peter Gojewicz, Botik Vendison, Sculpt as qualifiers to reach the fourth round. It's the first qualifying trio to reach a Grand Slam fourth round since 1995. First qualifier duo in he and Gojewicz from the same country in a fourth round at a Grand Slam since 93. History. History, history, history for Oscar Ota, who again advances as he earns a four-set win uh, over Andreas Seppi. You look uh, again elsewhere at the results we saw on the day. I still don't think Djokovic has played his best. Uh, you know, he just kind of worked his way into that match with Nishikori, kind of wore Nishikori down physically, and I think that Djokovic has yet to flash his best. The way he paced himself, that's what's been so notable for him at Grand Slams this year. It's the way he's paced himself, and obviously he had a sprint towards the finish line, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals of the 2021 French Open, but, you know, Australia 
pushed by Tiafo early on, pushed by Fritz early on before he crushed everyone in the semifinals and finals, Karat 7, Medvedev, and then, you know, Wimbledon, four-set loss to Draper. That rips through the rest of the draw before the four-set loss to Berrettini. I just think he's paced himself a uh, win, excuse me, over Berrettini. I just think he's he's doing a really good job of pacing himself, of saving that energy because he's going to need it against Zverev, against Medvedev come later in this tournament as Zverev earns a four-set win. Jack Sock was extraordinary in that first set, takes it 6-3 before Zverev, 6-2, 6-3, 2-1, forced to retire, unfortunately, with an ailment. I mean, Zverev's looked good. He's brought his best form. He is clearly, uh, uh, I don't know how, and I, it's inhumane almost that he has been unimpacted uh, by Ben's article and obviously Alia Sharapova's um, acknowledgement of what happened during the, the, their relationship, the abuse physically, mentally that he's uh, endured, that she endured from him. That hasn't affected his performance on court. And I always do want to mention, go read Ben's article for Slate because the the article speaks for itself, and I do think that's an important component whenever you bring up Alex Virov now to mention as well. He faces credible accusations of both physical and emotional abuse. And, you know, again, there is yet to be any ATP action. We, we've litigated this before. The point being, for Vera from a tennis perspective, he can absolutely win his first Grand Slam at this event in New York. But that's where things stand after day six of the 2021 U.S. Open. Now, quickly, I do want to talk uh, about the uh, where you know the percentages are for the top 10 contenders in both tennis abstract according to the odds makers as well you look we'll start with the women's side and where they are at at tennis abstract with the elimination of both Naomi Osaka and Ashley Barty in round number three you have Sabalenka as your favorite according to the analytics and the odds makers to win the 2021 US Open your number 2 seed a 12.8% chance to win the event according to tennis abstracts forecast she's a plus 300 favorite via our friends at DraftKings let's stick with TA first they have top half Pliskova 10.5% chance as their number 2 Muguruza 10.4 number 3 you then get Svitolina 9.2 Benchich 8.3, Sakari 8.2, Sviantek 7.2, Halep 7.2, Krachikova 6.1, Kerber 5.5. Now, why did I read all of those numbers to you? Because 10 players all are within 7.3% of each other. That never happens entering a round of 16 at a Grand Slam. Usually you do have a prohibitive favorite. Usually the analytics will suggest, well, this person's more consistent. We'll get to how that manifests itself on the men's side right now. But Tennis Abstract's essentially saying, we don't know. It's a toss-up. Like, yeah, all these players have about the same chance of winning, in particular from, you know, I would say... In particular, we'll go Halep to Sabalenka, the 5% difference between them and, and her and uh, number one and number eight. Like, yeah, 12.8% chance is not a lot. 10.5, 10.4, it's all of these matchups. Now, they do seem to indicate they think the winner is going to come from the bottom half of the draw, but man, I mean, it's good stuff. It's it's going to be a photo finish down the home stretch. And you look at the odds makers. Sabalenka plus three hundred. You know who I didn't mention. She's uh, currently fit, uh, tenth in the tennis abstracts forecast, five point five percent. You know who's second according to the odds makers? Angelique Kerber, who's plus six hundred right now. Odds makers a little bit higher on her. On Krejcikova, who's plus eight hundred, much higher on Emma Raducanu, who's plus eight fifty. I don't know if I, if Raducanu is winning this Grand Slam. That feels a little bit high. But absent of the top 10 in both the contenders of the DraftKings and Tennis Abstract, no BB love. 
People still a little apprehensive before hopping on Andrescu's bandwagon. The 2019 U.S. Open champ has looked better and better in each increasing win, and you look for her now. She matches up with Maria Sakkari, who she beat in Miami. After that would be the winner of Pliskova and Pavlachenkova. After that, you know, again, at that point, she's in the semifinals. Are you really going to get, get bet against BB at that point against any of the four of Iga, Bencic, Radikainu, and Rogers? I don't know. Like... Again, she's 4.4%. She's in the range. Like, she is in the range. That speaks to, again, how close it is right now across the board. On the women's side, we flip gears, talk about where the men are at. It's a three-man race, according to both the percentages, according to both the odds makers as well. You look after the Zira's victory last night. It's Medvedev, 40.8% chance to win Djokovic, 30.5%. Zverev, 20.5%. After that, you get Berrettini 1.9, Schwartzman 1.4, FAA 1.4, Sinner 1.2. After that, it's like 0.6 Alcaraz, 0.5 Tiafo, 0.4 Opelka. Point being, yeah, three-man race. Look at the odds. Djokovic minus 175, Medvedev plus 210, Zverev plus 450, Berrettini plus 2,500. Yeah, we said coming into this, it was a three-man race with Tsitsipas a tier lower than those top three guys. It's Now there's no one in the tier lower. No, you know, I guess Berrettini was in there as well with Rublev and Tsitsipas, but it's still those three to lose. I, I, you know, if it's not one of those three winning the title, I think that would be a shock to all of us. I think if any of those three win the title, it would not be a shock. And so, you know, again, after three rounds, things pretty much stand pat on the men's side on the women's side who knows how week two is going to break down and of course we look forward to breaking down all of that action for you here on the mini break week two starts on sunday with again a bunch of fun matches across the board you look on the women's side svitolina versus halep hello kerber versus fernandez two lefties super super fun match even if that is your most lopsided match according to tennis abstract you've got Elisa Mertens, her taking on former doubles partner Arena Sabalenka, and then the nightcap thriller Krejcikova versus Muguruza, which was one of our two Patreon matches of the day. You look across the board: Svitolina, fifty-two point six percent favorite over Halep; Kerber, sixty-nine point one percent; Muguruza, fifty-five point six; Sabalenka, fifty-nine point eight. All of them close across the board. You look on the men's side, bottom half of the draw. Medvedev a 91.1% favorite over Dan Evans. I find that kind of funny. Vandesen Sculp, uh, excuse me, Schwartzman, 74.3% over Vandesen Sculp. Alcaraz, 75.8% over Gojewitz. The fun one, nightcap, Tiafo, FAA, FAA, just a 58.3% uh, percent favorite over the 23-year-old American. Should be a really fun day seven. And of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap all of the action. If you've missed out on anything, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. Picks each and every day over on our Great Shot podcast feed. You can find those GSP aces of the day dropping each late afternoon, early evening. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. We work them hard here throughout the course of these Grand Slams because we want to provide all of you the sort of coverage you deserve. So again, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out to our friends over at Tennis Point as well. You guys know the deal. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producers, Fleeter and Westoff, for our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. 
and we will talk to you all later. Thanks, everyone.